Again, my name is Jay. Um, I work with students. I work with Youth for Christ and have hang, been hanging out with middle and high school students for about um, 20-some years. It's been a long run, and, and it's been a cool thing. And again, as Joe said, I'll be sharing some stories about this and about having a vision for the young generation, but also a little bit about um, whether some of us might be called to step into service with students. Um, by the way, just so we can get started, where are my middle and high school people in this room? Okay, we have actually have a pretty good group. Many of them are back here, then a few up here. Okay, all over the place. Awesome, guys. I need you guys today. Cool? All right. So we're going to start with the scripture. This comes out of Mark. Uh, it is Mark 6, 7 to 13. I think we have the slides for it, but um, I'll go ahead and read this. Then Jesus went around. Well, let's make sure we have the same translation. Okay. It's slightly different. Okay. He called the 12 and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you en- whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you, and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and, he, and they cured them. So I was asked to teach about reaching out to the younger generation, specifically middle and high school students. Um, I've been in this 27 years. I have a lot of stories over the years from this. Middle and high school is a crazy time. And as anyone in those years can attest, a lot of things happen and a lot of things change and shift. It's crazy for parents, too, as some of the parents can attest. And it's complicated by the fact that from one generation to the next, this is constantly shifting. Here's an example parents my age might identify with. And, you know, if you're in your 40s, you're close to my age. Cool? So when I was growing up in the early 1980s, okay, some of us have to go back a little bit, back to the world of Rubik's Cubes. But I I remember... 40-ish adults at this time telling us kids all the things that, like, not necessarily my parents, but just various people telling us things, oh, when I was your age, I wasn't allowed to do that, or things were strict, and this and that and the other. Um, I remember somebody telling me, this wasn't my parents, but somebody told me that chewing gum in school was like a type of thing that the community remembered, like, shame on you for chewing gum in school. You know, they'll never forget you did this. So, again, now, this was the early 80s, and that's things I remember from being a kid. Now, the stock joke of the 2010s is much the opposite. So, us 40-somethings tend to tell stories of things that we got away with when we were kids before every child injury meant a new child safety law, which is how it is today, right? So, I mean, I remember, I remember when seatbelts were just a suggestion, some of you remember that? Yeah. Okay. I rem- and everyone under 30 should gasp when I say this. So, in fact, I want you to gasp when I say this. Can you all do that? Okay. I remember biking three miles from my house with no helmet. 
Where are the gasps? Can you believe that? Oh my gosh. It was, and it was not a big deal. It was normal at the time. Like one generation expected to be left alone and to figure things out. Then now we have a group of kids that expect adults, especially their parents, to be involved much more in those decisions. We would think it was crazy if things were that, were that loose, wouldn't we? Um, so reaching the younger generations never simple. It's always a puzzle we grown-ups are scrambling to figure out because the puzzle itself always is changing. What it was to be an adult and, then, and dealing with teenagers 30, 40 years ago is very different than what it is now. Drastically different. So if this makes no sense, observe today's parent trying to navigate the adolescent world of social media. Figuring out how do I keep my teenager from losing themselves in screen technology while at the same time figuring out that, okay, young people do utilize this as their prime, they'll probably use this as their prime medium. They should know how to use it. I don't want them not to do it, but how do we do this in a healthy way? Help them to be educated, um, organize their lives, everything else. I, how do I do that without it becoming addictive or something they can't live without? So back in 1990, based on our teen years, um, we all could have foreseen having a 12-year-old son who wanted the latest gaming system. We all could have foreseen a 15-year-old daughter who was, would be asking for her own landline. That sound outdated? But as usual... These things have shifted so much. That's not, the, both those things are drastically different. As usual, teenagers today are redefining what it even means to be a teenager. And adults are going, I can't figure you out. I can't, what you, this is nothing like when I was growing up. And it's not just generational stuff. Teen years are a crazy time. Let's walk through it a little bit. In my years working with students, many churches have adopted this strategy. Raise up the children in the Lord. Then when they become teenagers, give them over to some youth leader and say, I hope you turn out well. That's what they often do. And many adults tell me, I don't know how you work with teenagers. How do you possibly do that? And you actually want to do this? You choose to do this? And I kind of get it. It's a complicated, tumultuous time. Like it starts in sixth grade. Every year, so I'm, I'm part of a student ministry where we have, like, we have like a whole group of new kids come in and we'll see this new batch of sixth graders come in wide-eyed. Whoa, what's going on here? Still a little like children, still kind of looking to leaders for guidance. And I look at them and I think, you have no idea the tide that's about to sweep over you, kid. You have no idea. You're 11, 12 there's a lot that's in front of you. But socially, suddenly they're trying on their own social identity. Um, this is when you're chaperoning one of your kids' events and they avoid all eye contact with you. They don't, they're kind of like, no, I'm not with you. Usually this is around sixth or seventh grade. Um, it's funny, as a, um, as a youth leader, I, I actually observed this pattern. I knew kids who knew me back in sixth grade and remembered me from before they started owning their own, their own identity a little more, 
they kind of view me a little too much like a parent, almost because they're so used to seeing me that way, to, to seeing me as somebody else who's, uh, who's kind of their parents' age. They probably were relying on their parents more, so I had to call their parents. They tend to look at me a little more like funny as they get older. Then I appear way cooler to kids who didn't meet me till seventh, eighth, or ninth grade because there's less baggage and less history. I don't know if that makes sense. But mind you, I'm the same guy in both situations. It's not personal. It's part of their identity search. It's where, who they've been versus what they're becoming. So around eighth or ninth grade, they begin thinking for themselves but, and questioning what they were raised on. Not every kid goes through outright rebellion or anything. Not everyone's wired that way. Some have great relationships with their parents. They're very cooperative. But every kid needs to begin to find out who they are for themselves. Around junior or senior year, they've normally found themselves socially, at least early on. But they're, still, they're just beginning the what is my calling in life phase. And that's a whole other story. So I get it. It's complicated. A lot of adults see the world of teenagers. They watch the news and they hear all the worst things that can happen, which is what we often hear when we watch the news, isn't it? And they think, I'll let someone else handle them. Thank you very much. And yet I believe that more adults in the body of Christ should be working with teenagers. I believe there's an opportunity at this age like no other time in their life. I could tell you the reasons why you should or all the various ways that you could serve and all of those kinds of things, but let's, I'd like to look at the scripture for the week again uh, just a little bit more. Uh, Mark 6, 7 to 13. Joe told me your church is going through the gospel of Mark. And this has been going for a while and you're working through. And he said, here's the scripture for the week. Joe said, if you can connect with it, great. And he wasn't like, use the scripture or else. That's as if Joe would talk like that. But, it, but, so, but I saw it. I was, I was thinking about this. Okay, let me see if I can connect this scripture to this. It seemed if we're using scripture... Scripture should be central to what we're talking about. So then I said, I see this as a challenge. God, show me how you want to use this. So let's do this. Jesus sends out the disciples to buy. Yeah. They go forth. They drive out demons. They're healing the sick. And here's a few context notes I came up with. Jesus is not messing around. The kingdom of God is at Hand. This isn't just kind of a, there are different seasons in a fellowship, right? There are times when things are more urgent. There are times when things are more, let's grow steadily. But this is a moment where Jesus is here. And he's saying, this is not just to grow your fellowship season. He's saying, I am here right now to bring salvation to anyone who will receive me. I am here now. This is urgent. He even says, if people reject your message, do what? What do you say to do? Yeah, shake the dust off your feet. 
and say, you had your chance. I mean, this was a, right now, God is offering his message and offering people a new way of life. Not necessarily an easy one, but he's offering it. Then Jesus, another thing is Jesus tells the disciples to take only a few things with them. Be fully dependent on God. So think about it. When you recognize that you're fully dependent on God, you and I don't get sidetracked by trivial things. We are focused on the most important things, aren't we? In the big moments, when we realize that we're counting on God, we go, there's no other way, God, and it really centers us. We know what's important, and we know what's not. So I think that this scripture can guide a lot of things for this. Two, I'm going to focus on two in particular. First is how we mentor young people. We need to guide them. We need to commission them. Jesus said he multiplied himself into his disciples, right? He, was, he doesn't just do the work himself. And if there's anyone who could have done it himself, it was Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. But he, and God is insane about this. It blows my mind about God. He includes young people. He chooses to rely on young people. He actually says, guys, I'm counting on you, and I am not going to do this without you. Now, let's get this clear. Is every season going to be urgent? No, this was a specific time. But Jesus does want all of us to be ready. And that includes young people. Everyone who follows Jesus must realize there is going to be a cost. We have to give up something to follow Jesus. All of us, including young people, need to recognize the things that have a hold on us. And we need to commit those things to God's authority. God may ask us to set some things aside. Are we calling young people to be ready? To listen for God's voice? To wrestle with difficult things in his word? to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus in this time, in their own generation. Things are changing. New wine is needed. So that's a big role for them. But this is also for us adults. I, this is the second thing. The, so the first thing, the scripture is for students and how we mentor them, but the second is for us as adults. Maybe we're the ones who need a kick in the seat of the pants to actually do this, to actually step in to this role. My sense is there are some of you who are being called to serve with students here at New Hope. And something in you is saying, I don't know about this. So I want to give you a few things to think about as you consider whether God is calling you to serve and confront a few misconceptions people have. Cool? So let's go to the first one. Um, first is, you don't have to be young to work with teenagers. Some people think, well, after a certain point, there's no way I can do this. I'm, there, I'm past that now. Years ago, I had a 53-year-old at the time friend who got involved in leading students. 53. And... 
he lasted about 10 years hanging out with middle school students until physically he just couldn't do things anymore. Now, this was not the guy who was playing hardcore dodgeball or something like that. He was not, this guy had back problems even before he came into the group. So he, there was, he was limited. But he led a small group and then he coached a whole group of younger leaders. And then he had one kid who really took to him for whatever reason. This kid maybe was needing a father figure. And this kid just really connected with him. And so he really built into this kid probably for five or six years. 53 years old. In case this is a one-time thing, just last year, a 53-year-old friend of mine joined the team that I coach at Grace Fellowship. Um, 53 years old again. He came to camp with me as a leader. It was his first time doing something in youth ministry. And then he co-led a larger, a, a, a big group of sixth grade boys. They were crazy. They were hyper. Some of them, some of them were definitely pushing the limits. And he's ready to do it again next year. So think about that. 53-year-old rookies in youth ministry. If they can do it, maybe you can. I'd give you this point. You don't have to be a 21-year-old tireless leader. Many kids need big brother and big sister figures, but they also need mom and dad figures. So here's a second misconception. You don't have to be cool to work with teenagers. Teenagers in the room, would you help me here? When someone tries really hard to be cool, when they try really hard to be cool, what are they? Not cool. <laughs> okay? I had one college summer years ago. I'm, I, was, I was working up at a camp, and I'm, I'm in college, so I'm still in that younger bracket myself. I had long hair, and I was like a surfer dude kind of person. And I had a lot of students who liked that. I was kind of a grunge hippie. So, yeah, it was the 90s, okay? So, uh, uh, and like, and I, I, I tended to be like, cool, man. And then students enjoyed it, like hanging out with me. It was very laid back. And I was, I was only a few years older than them. There was this one older leader, I think his name was Bob. And he kept trying to sound just like me. And he kept, but it sounded ridiculous. He kept going, yo, that is cool, man. That is really cool. And I'm like, what are you doing? It would be like if I tried to dab. Okay, and the teenagers know what I'm saying. I, I don't want to see me dab, okay? So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now, that doesn't preclude if I actually connect with an element of youth culture. So, I understand that some of you students are into this. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, baby! I love this! Oh, man. You all have to help me out for a second. Can you all help me sing this for a second? Let me tell you what I wish I'd known when I was young and dreamed of glory. You have no control. Who dies? Hells. Woo! I love that. It's awesome. Give him a hand. Woo! I love that. I'm a huge Hamilton fan, so I can talk all about that with you guys forever. I, I, I love it. It's a great musical. I've, I've read, like, all the books and stuff on it. I think it's so cool. But...
Here's a separate example. As much as I hate to move on from Hamilton, I could go out, again, I could talk about forever. Go to the next slide here. Okay. How many, among the comics fans, how many, or, or the movie fans, how many DC fans? Any DC fans? Any Marvel fans? How many of you know that I have no clue about DC versus Marvel? Okay, I have seen exactly zero movies. Okay, man. Now, how many parents here, hold on a second, how many parents here actually get the DC versus Marvel world a little bit? Any, anyone understand it? You are cooler than I am. You are more edgy than me. See, you're, and I work with students. I'm supposed to, I should just, I sh- I'm not even qualified to do this anymore. I should just leave. No. Anyways, but I'm saying, you get my point. You don't have to be cool, man, to do this, okay? You can do this. Here's the third one. You don't have to be perfect to work with teenagers. This is a misconception. I have to have my life together to lead anyone else, especially teenagers. I do think that there are certain areas of life where we have to be strong, obvious ones. We have to have good emotional and spiritual boundaries. No one, it's not a good situation, and I've known people like this, for a leader to come in seeking to get their personal needs met by hanging with students. That's a bad scene, okay? You need to come ready to serve. Christ must be your center. But perfection misses the point. If you're perfect or seen as perfect in your faith, people will either do one of two things. They'll either see through it or they'll look at you and say, there's no way I can be as great as that person. If that's what being a Christian is, I don't know if I can do it. They're too good. Do you know what real life imperfect teenagers struggling and striving to follow Jesus need to see? Real life imperfect Adults struggling and striving to follow Jesus. There are healthy boundaries, but we need to be real. So, so what do you have to be? I would ask you to think about this. We can, if you have a blank slide or anything, we can go to that. But I didn't want to do a slide on this for a reason. I'll give you a few thoughts in a minute. But... Do any middle school or high school students here actually think they would like, could say something to what it is that you think you need in leaders? And I want to give you a second to say that. No one has to. You got something? Go ahead. Speak. Mm-hmm. Can you say that a little louder? I'm not quite getting it. Okay, to be friends, okay, so be friends, that's awesome. So someone who's going through it with you, and that doesn't mean a friend like, okay, you're exacting just like a teenager. It means a friend who's someone older, who understands the difference between being, having to be a fellow teenager and, or, and saying, no, I can be an older friend and still support you. Is that good? Anyone else? Okay, I would... Here's a few things I would give you on this. Um, 
And if you, if you write things down, we're coming down to the last few minutes, but I want to give these to you just as, I, as things that I... And maybe one of these rings in your heart. Adults, leaders, potential leaders. Um, here are a few things I've seen that I think are needed. Someone who follows God, not perfectly, but authentically. Humility is what? It's having a right sense of who you are before God, right? Not, not, too, not thinking too highly of yourself, but knowing that you're worth everything to God, right? This is true to some degree of most people, but teenagers especially will spot if you're phony or if you're being authentic. So, follows God not perfectly, but authentically. Here's another one. Emotionally and spiritually mature and centered. Again, not perfect, but centered in Christ. We just talked about that. Here's another one. Cares about students. Not only about them growing spiritually, but like you just said, what's your name? Andrew. Like, great, that was a great one, Andrew. What he just said, some, what they need is, they do need people who are just friends. They do care about who they are and how they're doing. You know, think of it like this. Often Jesus provided for other people's needs before he even taught them anything. You know, think of the woman at the well. He doesn't immediately go to her, change your ways. He, the first thing he does is he, can, he talks to her about how she's doing, doesn't he? He kind of walks through her life story with, you before, but with her before revealing who he was and what he could give her. Here's another one. Teens need someone who listens well and tries to understand them. You can provide something to teens that our world, with all its social media platforms, all its ways to express itself, cannot give them. You can change their understanding of God's love just by trying to understand they don't, there's a phrase that we often use in youth ministry. Um, students don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that's, I think that's huge. So listens well. Here's another one, and this is a tough one. They need mentors who don't make it about their own perceptions of the issues and youth culture and put those judgments on kids. You want to compel young people to tune you right out? Make sweeping judgments about how bad Instagram, Tumblr, etc. are. Make sweeping judgments about how disrespectful it is to question and protest social justice issues as so many young people are doing when the truth is the young people are sometimes the, are often the most respectful people involved. Instead, you can disagree with, with some of the things or question some of them without being unnecessarily confrontational. You're trying to help them in their story, not impose your story on them. Instead, ask them what they think is good or bad about social media. Many students are aware of some concerns and dangers but they're also using social media as a platform to do really good things. 
Um, or ask them about the music they listen to. Sometimes I'll say to a kid, I don't know the songs that you're into, but would you play me a song and tell me why you like it? I'd like to know more about that. Or ask them about social issues. What do they mean to you? What does it mean to you when you see the protests? Ask them. Here's, here's, the bring, here's why I'd say to bring this together. Do we grown-ups have some important things to teach and guide young people with? Yes. But can we also learn some things from them? Yes. If we are teachable and we model teachability, is that a good thing? You do more by, show, by being a teachable person yourself. That doesn't mean that everything that they're telling you is right, but it does mean that we're open to hear, not just say, oh, you young people are a mess. Pull it together, you know? They need to people who care about them and see the issues and learn to see them the way they do. Here's one more. Willing to share and listen to stories. Today's world is full of noise. There is noise everywhere. If I want to find out, if I want to find arguments for or against any major issue, I can find them with a few clicks, with a few presses with my phone. I can find arguments for or against anything, for or against most spiritual arguments, just like that. But what cuts through the noise is stories. Stories. Tell me your story. Huh. Sounds like your story and mine have a place of connection. We have something in common. It's, they're so powerful. Stories are so powerful, Jesus used them. Noise tears us apart. Stories bring us together. So let's bring this to a conclusion here. Jesus had the relationship with his disciples such that when he sent them out, they knew what their rabbi was about. The challenge for us is to think about this and what we're called to. Maybe for some of you, it isn't necessarily leadership, but I'd ask you to listen to the Spirit. Some of you, maybe it's just getting your heart right towards young people. Maybe you're called to pray for young people. Maybe just to see them a little differently. Maybe this challenge guides you as, as a teen or as a parent to make decisions to honor God in a different way. But maybe God is calling you to do something you never thought you'd do and follow him into hands-on ministry with students. Um, If God's challenging you in this, like Jesus said, don't delay. This is urgent. Time is short. Today's teenagers, three or four years from now, will be college students. The ones who are in middle school now will be in high school in a few years. This is urgent, like Jesus was saying. And just to kind of bring this together, I'd like to wrap this up from a personal note. And maybe this puts the, helps you to see it. I'm in my 40s now. And I've never forgotten the people who built into me 
as a young person. Eric, John, Gary, Pin, two guys named Dave, Richard, Scott and Louise. I still remember them and their, imp- and their imprint is on my life to this day. Is God calling you to be on someone's list? 15, 20, 30 years from today. Let's pray. God, thank you that we get to be here. Thank you for the teenagers in this room. Thank you for the parents of teenagers in this room. Thank you for those in this room who have poured into teenagers. And I do pray that you would speak to each person through this today. I pray that you'd help us to accept the calling and to pursue what you're calling us to do. If we're teens, I pray you'd help us to follow you more deeply where we are and figure out what it means to follow you. And if we're the grown-ups in the picture, I pray you would help us to take the step you're calling us to towards today's young people, the church of tomorrow and today. Amen.